everyone, and good morning to our guests. I'm so glad to see you here this morning. And I'm so glad to see Ernie is here with his eye surgery done. Yippee. Doing good, right? Praise the Lord. We're so grateful. And, and Pastor Ray has made it all the way through from one end of COVID to the other and is in good health. Praise the yes, Lord for I that. Am. Hallelujah. Um, I am taken here to the front of our bulletin. And sometimes we glance at the front and don't pay any attention, but I'm going to call our attention to it this morning. For it has uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, and many of us probably could almost say that by heart. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. We are on the cusp a couple of weeks away from possibly one of the um, most um, important elections of our lifetime. Our nation has been slipping into uh, a morass, and you and I go home to our beautiful homes, and we have a, play, a full table of food, and nothing seems to be different, but there is something different that is going on day by day. And um, I would just want to encourage each and every one of us from now unto that election day to be in prayer, be in prayer. Ask the Lord to take our hand and turn us from our sin. Lead us in the way that he would have us go. Just, just be faithful, okay, with that. So that's my announcement this morning. Anybody else have an announcement to make? Anything going on we need to know about? Well, then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we do um, come to your precious throne of grace and mercy this day. And we ask you that you will take our hand and forgive the sin of our nation. Forgive the sin of years and years of, of uh, aborting our children and having the blood stain on our nation. Thank you, Father, that you have allowed us to turn that sin back at our court system. And now, Lord, we ask you to forgive it and that you would forgive the other sins that, that have been so egregious against you and that you would turn our hearts back to the living God. We talk about being a great nation. We cannot be a great nation until we are a godly nation once again. Turn our hearts, Lord, back to you and have our church extol you and worship you and turn our hearts to you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. You know, um, this morning's um, devotion is finding fulfillment. When I think of fulfillment, I think of the, the yin and the yang, and the other part of that is despair. And when we were here for a prayer on Thursday night, we found out that another person in our midst has been touched by the attempt of suicide within the family. And we are not immune to that. And... You know, as Jesus was tempted in the desert to turn the stones into 
food, um, we need to realize that God will sustain us throughout our trials, our tribulations. Um, we need to figure out how to speak into the lives of those that are in that place of despair. And so if that would be your prayer this week, you know, please join me in that. And with that, finding fulfillment. Let your soul delight in its abundance. When Satan tried to trap Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, he used the same temptations um, that he uses today. One trap was the lure of things. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and Satan tried to take advantage of his hunger by urging him to use his supernatural power to turn the stones into bread. But Jesus replied, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not from Satan's mouth, but from God's. Bread is important. Our relationships are important. Our jobs are important. But it is all, it's not all important, as Satan was suggesting. Pleasure and recreations have their place, but they mustn't be first place. Money isn't necessary, but money must serve us. We are not to serve it. And Isaiah said, listen carefully to me. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Yes, a delight in abundance, the abundance that God gives, both material, spiritual, and relationships. Especially delight in the abundance of joy that comes from his presence. Satan will always offer you a substitute refuse them and the hope for today what sub, uh, what substitutions have tempted you and what will you accept ask god to give you the wisdom to recognize the poor substitute or a quick fix and the self-control to wait for what is best psalms has 150 chapters the last chapter instructs us to praise God 13 times. A good way to end a good book. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him for His love surrounds me like the sea. I'll praise the name. Jesus for the name.
from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Would you stand with me and we'll recite the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me begin by uh, thanking each of you and all of you for your prayers the uh, past couple of weeks. COVID wasn't fun the first time around, and it uh, certainly wasn't fun the second time around. Pastor Frank did a uh, marvelous job last week of explaining the Pharisees, their mentality, their predilection to 
well, let's call it uh, <clears throat> liberalism. They're, uh, the word escapes me, but uh, legalism, legalism. What you see before you is a prayer shawl, and uh, you'll see the Jews in Jerusalem wear this quite often to the uh, Wailing Wall. And uh, the last time I was in Jerusalem, we had a, uh, a Jewish guide that was careful to explain to us what the prayer shawl is all about. He said, uh, when you put on your prayer shawl and when you begin to pray, you wrap the shawl around you as though you are covering yourself with a tent, as though you are constructing your very own tabernacle, your very own place of meeting, which is wonderful symbolism. And what do we have here? Pomegranates. Why pomegranates? Frank did an excellent job of explaining to you last week <clears throat> that the Mishnah and Talmud, the, uh, think of them as commentaries on the Pentateuch. We, uh, if you study the book of Romans, you want to consult Luther, one of the best commentaries on the book of Romans. The Talmud and the Mishnah are commentaries, explanations of the law. But a fascination with the law will not save you. The pomegranate has, typically a mature pomegranate has 600, over 600 seeds. And as Frank explained to you last week, the Mishnah and the Talmud represent 613 commands and prohibitions, or call them laws. Bless the Lord. The Lord Jesus diluted that down to two. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do these things, you have fulfilled the law and the prophets. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we would know more of you. And we ask, Lord, that you be gracious and reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. Anoint every word, Father, for your glory and for the exhortation and admonition of every soul here this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my sinner, uh, excuse me, the title of my sinner, the title of my sermon this morning 
Is glory a sinner or a decadent saint? Think about that a moment. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, you got that backwards, don't you? It's decadent sinner or glorious saint. Think on that juxtaposition. Glorious sinner or decadent saint. Our text this morning is John 3, 16 through 21. I was visiting with my brother-in-law in in, uh, Chandler a couple of months ago. He is a recovering Mormon. I was uh, expounding on the grace of God to him, and he cut me off and said, but I, I noticed he would look at me when he said it. He would not make eye contact. He says, Ray, I believe that as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God will be merciful and receive me into his heaven. The JWs, the Mormons, most people who today claim to be Christians and are actually trying to work their way to heaven, earn their way to heaven, believing this lie that uh, God judges us on a curve, that if our good deeds outweigh our bad, we will be granted access to his heaven. Let me ask you this. Did the thief on the cross have time to pass out watchtower tracts on the corner? Did he have time to knock on doors and preach the Book of Mormon? I submit to you he did not. Obviously, the thief on the cross, his bad deeds outweighed his good. But most of the world believes there will be justice in the next life. That there will be fairness and equity. And they're right. They just don't realize what form it will take. Tom, if you'd show us slide number one. John 3, 17 through 18. This is from the NLT. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. For not believing in God's one and only son. We're going to talk uh, a little bit this morning about legalism, works, righteousness, the thought that we can earn our way to God. Luther called the epistle of James the epistle of straw. Why would he say that? He questioned whether or not it should have been canonized into Scripture. Why would he say that?
the works righteousness of Luther's day. You see, the Catholic Church from day one has tried to tell you that salvation is faith, yes, but more so it's works. That flies in the face of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Catholicism interjects a priest in between you and God. You should not read your Bible. You, you haven't been educated in the Word. You need a priest to interpret the word for you. You need a priest to absolve you of your sins. There's a reason the Catholic Church does not teach or preach from the book of Hebrews. Because in the book of Hebrews we find that we can go directly to our high priest directly. Why did Jesus offer the Lord's Prayer? Lord, teach us to pray. How should we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We can go directly to the throne of grace. We can go directly to the throne room. Tom, if you would show us slide number two. Here in John 3.12, we see the Trinity in action. And I will submit to you to understand John 3.16, you need a pretty solid concept of the Trinity. Let me try to explain it to you in terms of geometry. There are those who call geometry the divine science. Why would they say that? There are those who believe the formulations of an equilateral triangle will, if you have the right formula, yield the ineffable name of God. My question is, why would you want to know the ineffable name of God? Why would you inadvertently take that name in vain if you knew it? So why would you want to know the ineffable name of God? Why H-W-H is enough, Yahweh. But to understand the Trinity, imagine I hold in my hand a small pyramid, say six inches tall. It has three sides, a three-sided pyramid. Can you imagine it? Three-sided pyramid. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But if you turn that pyramid on end, all three sides form a base. What do we call that base? God. God. John 3.12. Most assuredly, this is Jesus speaking. Speaking to Nicodemus. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Notice all the pronouns are capitalized. Jesus is speaking for the Trinity. We, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speak what we know and testify, what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, Jesus has just previously explained to Nicodemus, the wind goes where it will. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. Just so is the Spirit. The Spirit goes where God sends it. If I speak to you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Did you catch that? Very much present tense. The Son of Man, who is in heaven. Heaven has come down. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and Nicodemus doesn't comprehend it, but Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I am heaven right in front of you, face to face. In my presence, you are in heaven this moment. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Tom, if you would show us slide three, John eight seventeen. Jesus here is explaining those pronouns. We, our. Jesus preaching to the Pharisees, your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. So Jesus is saying whenever I speak to you, I am speaking on behalf of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. I'd like to paraphrase for you John 3.16 in light of what we've just discussed about the Trinity. Imagine Jesus saying this to Nicodemus. This is how Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit love the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put on flesh and came to this earth to sacrifice themselves in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, so that anyone who believes in him 
and accepts this sacrifice for the atonement of their sin will be forgiven of their sins, past, present, and future, to the glory of God. And to the glory of God, they will live forever in the love and grace of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put on flesh. Slide four, please. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 from the New King James. For in him, Christ Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in human form. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Can I hear an amen? But what is the essence, the central truth of John 3.16? Tom, can you show us uh, slide number five? I give you Nick Voyage. Don't say that six times. Not rapidly. <clears throat> Nick is an evangelist. You might notice Nick has no arms. He also has no legs. But he is a dynamic evangelist. An Australian-American... He was born to Serbian parents who immigrated to Australia. And his ministry to the marginalized, those who have no hope, is stunning. Absolutely stunning. Show us slide six, if you would. Behold the red light district of Mumbai. India. Fourteen lanes of traffic into the red light district. Fourteen lanes out. It is one of, if not the largest sex trade hub on the planet. Nick was invited to preach to 650 sex workers, prostitutes, in this red light district. This particular district was 10 acres square. It was comprised of many 10 by 10 rooms of which six girls would be crowded into, often in bunk beds. Hundreds of girls per building. And most of these girls that Nick spoke to had been sold into the sex trade by their own family at 10 years of age.
You'll forgive me if I get a little emotional talking about this because I, uh, for one year in Bismarck, North Dakota, was afforded the opportunity to be a chaplain and care worker in a state-funded, what the state called a Class B psych ward. And there is a heavy population of American Indians in North Dakota. And I remember talking to the um, clinicians when I first started. And they said, uh, Pastor, there's something you need to get used to here. Half of our clientele are typically young native girls. And this one clinician told me, he said, I've been here six years and I have never once seen a young native girl received into this program that had not been raped by her own family. She said, never, never had one brought in that hadn't been raped by her own family members. I've done a lot of work with PTSD veterans ever since the year 2000. And as broken as those men are, men and women, as broken as they are, I don't think it quite compares to reactive attachment disorder. You've never seen a greater hopelessness than reactive attachment disorder. Let me explain that to you. One of the teenage girls I worked with said, uh, Pastor, my most prominent memory of my mother was when I was six years old. My sister and I were in the back seat of my mother's car. She was drunk. She ran off the road and rolled our car. And she climbed out of the car and left us. And we weren't discovered until the police showed up and they extracted us from the car. That's reactive attachment disorder. That's being abandoned by the people you are supposed to be able to trust most in this world. Nick said, what do you preach to girls who are raped several times a day? have known nothing else since age 10. What do you preach to them? He said, I'll tell you what you don't preach to them. You don't preach the karma of Buddhism. You don't preach Islam or Hinduism because those two religions treat them as outcasts because they are slaves. They have no place in Hinduism or Buddhism because they are slaves. Once these girls have worked three years 
their pimps allow that they have paid off the $700 they sent, they paid for them, and they are free to leave. But these 650 didn't leave because it's all they knew. It's all they knew. Nick said, I simply preached to them John 3, 16. That the God of heaven who created the entire cosmos loves you. And he sent his only son to die for you. That you may know his great love and grace. And he said, I want you to know one thing else. You have an enemy, and his name is Satan. After he finished his sermon, Nick, there were several girls who came forward to receive the offer to go to a halfway house. And in this halfway house, this Jesus halfway house, they were taught for 18 months the story of Jesus. And they were also taught a real world trade so that they could go out and make an honest living. Amazingly, when these girls finished their 18-month course, they don't go out and just get a job and start earning money. They don't buy a car. They don't buy a house. They save up $700. Their greatest expenditure will be a bicycle so they can get back and forth to work. And when they save $700, guess what they do? They take a bucket of water and a towel and they go back to the brothel. They go to their pimp and they ask, may I wash your feet? I forgive you. May I wash your feet? And Nick said, uh, almost invariably, when they do this, that pimp will break down in tears weeping for 20 minutes. And while he's weeping, she will offer him $700. And she'll be very direct and say, I'm taking one of my sisters with me. And that sister is taken back to the Jesus halfway house. And the cycle starts all over. But Nick said the, uh, of all the wonderful things that happened during his preaching there, he said, uh, we, uh, my Indian guide took me into a room 
and there was just one old woman. On the back wall, he said, was anywhere from 300 to 700 figurines of Hindu gods. But here sat this decrepit old woman. He said she was so old she had wrinkles in her wrinkles. She looked as though she were 120 years old. And she sat on the floor squatted with her legs folded under her. Her spine so bent that she could barely look up. And Nick started preaching to her the gospel of Jesus Christ. And her sister walks in. What do you think you're doing here? He said, I'm preaching to this woman about Jesus. You see, we need to understand something about third world countries. In third world countries, the poor can't go to doctors. They can't afford doctors. In Mumbai, India, your doctor is a witch doctor. And he applies black magic. But for this woman, black magic had not worked. The sister says, okay, if your God's real, make her walk. Because she hasn't walked in four and one half years. We have to carry her everywhere she goes. We have to carry her to the toilet. If your God's real, make her walk. Show me. So Nick prayed for her. And as he prayed for her, her spine, spine started to straighten. And all of a sudden, her torso got very straight. And Nick said, that's not enough. That won't do. Let me pray for you again. She said, no. No. I'll stand on my own. And she did just that. She stood up. And as she gained her feet, she started stomping her feet. She got jiggy. She started dancing around. Pretty soon she was jumping. Nick said she was jumping so high, he thought, Lady, don't break the legs. God just healed. The sister went immediately to the back wall and started touching all the feet. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Nick said, no. Mm -mm. The God who healed your sister, his name is Jesus. You won't find him on that back wall. Three and one half years later, That 10 acres is clear of prostitution. 
But let me tell you who this old lady was. Nick said that his Indian guide, the moment that this woman jumped up and started dancing and jumping, he said, my Indian guide, he says, you know, Indians are typically dark-skinned. But this Indian guide went pale. All the blood left his face. And he looked at me and he said, do you know what you've done? Do you know who she is? She was consummate evil. 45 years ago, she bought this 10-acre tract. And she devised the program of sending out pimps to the outlying areas in the decadent poverty and offering to buy children for $700. And he said these families had so many mouths they couldn't feed that offering up one child didn't seem to be that evil. But he says she's the one who devised the whole program. She owns this entire 10 acres. She was consummate evil. And God healed her? How can this be? Love and grace, that's how this can be. What's the difference between sin and iniquity? What? Preacher always thought they were the same thing. Not quite. Iniquity means a proclivity to sin, a bent toward sin. Sin is the fulfillment of that proclivity. I want to talk a moment about our legalism. You can find legalism in any church. It's basically lying to ourselves and telling ourselves we, we don't need to crack open the Bible today. We can go at least a day without reading the word, we can go at least a day without praying. We can go at least a day without sharing our faith. Tom, show us slide number seven. Romans chapter seven, verses 20 through 25. Sometimes we don't recognize or we ignore our proclivity to sin. And by the way, how do you know you're not in an apostate church? Think about that a moment. There's apostate churches all over this town, all over this nation. How do you know when you're in an apostate church? Sign number one, they don't preach about sin. I hate to name names, but when's the last time you heard Joel Osteen preach 
against sin. Oh, just live your best life now. I have news for you, folks. Our best life is not now. Our best life is in eternity, free of sin. There's no way our best life is now. So let's talk about sin. The scriptures say, that which you know to do and do not do, that's sin. Romans 7, 20 through 25, something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Who can help me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and he does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. This is why we need church. I have been uh, fascinated recently watching a man by the name of Jordan Peterson on YouTube. He is perhaps the most recognized clinical psychologist on the planet today. And I don't know how recently but somewhat recently, he ceased being an atheist. And from what I've heard and read, uh, he has become a Christian. But it is mesmerizing to hear a man who's been trained in rational and analytical thought to explain the scriptures. He has a lecture that he's done on Genesis. And I'm just mesmerized by that infinite intelligence. I, his intelligence has to be on a par with Einstein. But to hear his rational explanation of the scriptures, it's fascinating. But in his early lectures, he very honestly admits, I don't go to church. He says, uh, I don't know, most churches just bore me. And basically what he's saying is the same thing that Einstein said. That the God they preach is too small for me. Creator God 
who spoke 300 billion galaxies into existence. The God they preached is just too small for me. But I've noticed in his later lectures, he's saying, oh, by the way, here's the reason you need to go to church. Hebrews 10.25 Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. In other words, don't play church. But when you assemble together, encourage each other in the faith and all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Hebrews 10.25 tells us that our greatest goal is to encourage each other in the faith. And it's best done face to face. If you're housebound, then get on the phone. But it's much more palpable here face to face. I think I've told you before, I, I preached a sermon in North Dakota to a bunch of Lutherans that... Uh, didn't go over real well. And I told them, uh, folks, we're, we're in a deadly routine here. Every Sunday we come, we sit down, we sing three tired old hymns. We recite the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. We listen to a 15-minute sermon and we tell ourselves we're good to go. We got her done. We did church. And I told him, I said, you haven't done church. If you leave the sanctuary and you don't grab somebody by the hand and say, how may I pray for you? How may I encourage your faith? You can hear a pin drop. That's our charge this morning. This, this is why we do church encourage each other in the faith, pray for each other. To hold each other accountable to a life devoted to living in communion with Jesus and his word. Living in communion with each other. That's why we're here this morning. Let us pray. Father, we are so very thankful that uh, we're losing our freedoms one by one, but we are thankful that one, if not the greatest freedom, is the right to gather together, worship our God, and encourage each other. We are so very grateful because so many of our brothers and sisters, our Christian brothers and sisters throughout this world are not afforded that privilege. Help us maximize that privilege. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I have a uh, benediction I'd like to read to you.
This is sobering. It is not possible to have Christ apart from the church. We try. We would very much like to have Christ apart from the contradictions, the arguments and distractions of the other persons who believe in him or say that they do. We want a Christ who is pure goodness, beauty, and truth. Instead, we get a group of people who are just like us, lazy, doubting, fearful. We would much prefer to worship to the ethereal sounds of a grand pipe organ or a soaring symphony or to the melodious poetry of the Psalms. But the gospel saying no. The gospel says absolutely not. The gospel says our priority is to worship the Lord our God in spirit and in truth and in family. Family, that which we call church. Church is where we do family best. It is where our highest aim is to encourage each other in the faith. And all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. Blessings to you all. This is a song that I don't believe our congregation has sang. So um, Robert's going to go through the first um, verse, and then we'll, we'll kind of follow from there. So... Precious Lord, take my hand. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak and worn. Through the storm. Precious Lord, lead me Yeah. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you today as we should be thanking you every day, lifting our voices in praise, praising you, Lord, and glorifying you through our actions that we follow the way that your Son has taught us to be. And Lord, we know that you forgive us when we misstep, but we ask for, for us as a family to be able to reach out and, and recognize that your love can just wrap us up and, and lead us in the direction you wish. So Lord, we lift our voices to you and humbly ask for your forgiveness. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>